Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. What happens when a con man gets conned? We're about to find out. This is the Victims and Villains Podcast, and this is Matchstick Man. Welcome to the podcast where we talk nerd, we talk hope, and we speak nothing else. I'm your host, Captain Nostalgia, and... This episode goes out to our special Patreon supporters at our $5 tier. For as little as $5 a month, not only can you guys get us, help us get mental health resources into schools and conventions, but you can choose a Nicolas Cage movie of your choice. And Mr. Brandon Miller uh, chose this one. This is Matchstick Men, and this is the Victims and Villains podcast. And uh, please tell me a welcoming from a Nicolas cage podcast cages kisses kiss that's so hard to say uh linda donnie out, yeah. adrian <laughs> we are hello greetings and salutations <laughs> and all that jazz and all that jazz <laughs> i think yeah. i'll go by the old moniker i had when i helped linda deliver newspapers and go by captain courage uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, two captains somebody's got to be a doctor <laughs> dr courage yeah. well i'm dr philate my baby so <laughs> you, you are and always have you, been uh, god <laughs> you need to change it or say it differently because it sounds like you said philate and not phil eight <laughs> you know but you do you Amazingly embarrassing <laughs> Amazon subtitles I saw recently where a character was mumbling and Amazon decided he was saying the N-word. Wow. Oh. Yeah. Wow. They really need to update that uh, system they got there. <laughs> so, Mastic Men. Mastic yes. Man. <laughs> so, yeah. Before we kind of get into talking about this, let's let's shine the spotlight on you guys. This, mm-hmm. this is the first time you guys have ever done our show. Um, what where did the idea for a Nicolas Cage podcast kind of come from? Ask Linda. Not from me. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Adrian and I uh, became best friends back in college, and we lived together uh, briefly. And uh, obviously, Donnie's my brother. But uh, we we used to love, uh, especially when we were you know, uh, physically closer uh, in location, we used to love getting drunk and watching the worst movies we could find. 
and and we were uh, on the same couch, but there was room for the Holy Ghost. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Adrian used to work at Hollywood Video, so we got the best crap, really. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> finest hour. And this is just something that we we all would love to do, like on a regular basis. And uh, you know, uh, I'm sure our, our livers thank us today for it. But uh, <laughs> uh, just last year, I started up a, uh, uh, a my uh, studying for my master's in science, uh, master in science degree in data analysis, and it's all online. So I knew that it would be uh, it would take a lot of work. And uh, to kind of like, I, I know myself, I know that I'm, if I don't make myself, then I'm just going to be a her hermit and I'm not going to talk to anybody. So I figured now was the time because we kept talking about it, um, about having a, a podcast about Nicolas Cage because, mm -hmm. you I'm know, pretty sure a whole year beforehand. Yeah. 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 And I know I eventually told you to shit or get off the pot, too. <laughs> <laughs> there was that. Contribution, Donnie. <laughs> but like with the timing, it just worked out because I uh, I started my uh, studies on uh, February in the beginning of February. And uh, we started on uh, Valentine's Day. But uh, so it's like partially so i can talk to the boys and you know uh once a week and personally to to make myself get out of my little hermit cave and uh sadly adrian and i weren't like talking as often as we were when you know back in college when i lived yeah, in the area the years had done some damage you know yeah so, uh, yeah, so, I mean, everybody benefits, and, uh, you know, who who doesn't love talking about Nicolas Cage? I don't think nobody does. <laughs> <laughs> Nicolas Cage, I found in podcasting, and just in general film conversation in general, is a acquired taste. You either really like him, oh, yeah. or you really hate him, and if you like him, generally speaking, it's kind of like the subgroups. You're either going to like his, like, earlier stuff back mm -hmm. when he was doing, like... Uh, Con Air and Broken Arrow and The Rock and just some of his more famous ones and then you have the people that are loving like Color Out of Space and, and yeah, Mandy yeah. Mom and Dad and, and yeah. so the idea for the for listeners that don't necessarily know is that you guys are basically going through his filmography one film at a time painstakingly <laughs> Yeah, we are the reason that some of those movies on Amazon cost $80. <laughs> what is the worst one that you guys have seen so far? Oh, wow, that's a tough one. Um, I, 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 my, I cast my vote for Bad Lieutenant Port of Call New Orleans myself. <laughs> it's a close race, though. Oh, there's so much bad. I don't know. Like, I, Kiss of Death. I, Kiss I like of death. Kiss of Death because yeah. it was so crazy. Uh, yeah. yeah, but you like surreal films. I do. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I, I'd have to say Cotton Club was up there, too. I mean, I yeah. know that a lot of people love it, but I'm just... Mm, uh. Yeah, I don't know. It's like the how I kind of introduce people to Nicolas Cage is I say he's like the Heinz 57 sauce of of actors. It's like, yeah, it's all right. It's not great. It's not amazing, but he's he's there. <laughs> It's, he's he's all right. It's not gonna go wrong. 
Oh, you know what was really bad? Season of the Witch. Ooh, I've not seen that one yet. <laughs> oh, oh, it's that's got good. Ron Perlman. <laughs> it's got Nick Cage. What could go wrong? It's got Robert Sheehan. Witches. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty pretty awful, and it, it like. I I rarely rarely fall asleep during movies or shows, and y- usually when I do, actually ninety nine percent it's been while I was sick. But this movie actually made me fall asleep. So yeah, I actually have to side with Adrian on that. And thinking more about it, Port of Call, New Orleans, the Bad Lieutenant movie. Yeah, I just phased out so many times during that movie. I mean, he's fun to watch, but it's a boring boring movie that is a really boring movie and one of the things that i came to kind of know about nicholas cage or realize about nicholas cage last year when we did nicholas cage november is that nicholas cage can be very well trained actor Mm -hmm. if you give him under the right director and when he doesn't have the right director and when he's kind of left his own devices on certain scripts you get your bad lieutenant you get your g-force you get your your ghost riders and definitely some of the the other films that he's done and uh but then you get films like mandy and color out of space and worlds and con air like you know you just get these like very eccentric just fun films oh yeah yeah like uh we i think we all really enjoyed eight millimeter and uh that was it was amazing acting and uh, adaptation. And uh, I know that with eight millimeter, he specifically told the director that he wanted to internalize everything and he didn't want to do his usual, you know, crazy cageness, I guess. Eight millimeter is one of those films that not a whole lot of people remember. And to me, it's one of the more underrated films in his filmography. Yeah, definitely. adore that film and it was kind of it really it really introduced me to like the concept of like what a snuff film is yeah and that's another thing that i think a whole lot of people don't know about and it it saddens me that it doesn't really get the attention in his filmography because he did that when he was like in his prime because he did that yes a year or two after face off and then he did it a year before family man so he was in his prime and any and a year before gone in 60 seconds yeah and then yeah. that's kind of where i give him credit because not a lot of actors would do that and that's what i like about him he's not afraid to go back to things he likes or even pet projects some actors it's just they're afraid to do things like that and they really want to stick with what works for them but nick cage he's just i don't want to say all over the map but he's refined <laughs> One thing I, I like about watching Nicolas Cage is I did a, a couple months ago, I did a Nicolas Cage double feature on Netflix and I'd watched Between Worlds where he plays this like just ludicrous southern trucker in one. And then <laughs> in Vengeance was my second feature. He plays just this like vigilante cop. <laughs> and it's like these very two wide range where you have this like mm-hmm. pretty Punisher style cop thriller in one then you also have this just insane sci-fi movie in another like he's a guy that again given the right circumstances and the right set of directors he can do pretty much anything yeah definitely 
And I, I have to agree with you on on eight millimeter. And I mean, it was it was like heartbreaking, and it was amazing, and it was also informative. But uh, <laughs> I don't know if I should say unfortunately or fortunately. But um, ever since we did eight uh, millimeter, I noticed on our um, the analytics for our website a lot of the keywords that direct people to our website include snuff. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Yeah. It's like mom kiss porn and <laughs> kiss porn, <Right>. snuff porn <laughs> and like oh god, it's it's pretty And I got to say wild. when uh I saw with our cousin Mike the uh, 8mm film when it came out cuz he he's a story into himself because he believes he could pass for a nick cage stunt double we've talked about him a couple times that movie is like in the top three of my theater like experiences of things i remember because when we came out of that it's like for a good five ten minutes after we were just kind of like wow (laughs) i mean it's just everything that was in that it's like no other film at the time really had gone into that type of territory and i mean the story take as you will but just the subject matter itself it's just like that was really that was really cool and the subject matter that they were broaching on it's like that was really just kind of eye-opening and i know a lot of people back then when it did come out were like oh god we got to look this stuff up it's like don't (laughs) it's like you're you don't want (laughs) to hope to find these things (laughs) they do exist they're not gonna be on freaking google Yeah, it's eight millimeters viewing experience. I remember I I stumbled upon it like randomly one day. I was going through like a just a film catalog and and like stars or Showtime, and I happened to come across it. Didn't really read it. I was like Nicolas Cage. This looks gritty. It's got you know the the like poster sold me on it. So I was like, all right, I'll watch it. And coming out of it, it's like it's just one of those films that like really shakes you to your core to where you don't think about films like happening like that. And I think another good one, that's another prime example about that is a good one. The girl girl next door and not the, Oh yes. I know which one you're talking about. uh, Not the mainstream one where the uh, the Ketchum novel. Yeah. I think that's, yeah. Yeah. That, Oh God. Oh, I didn't see that one. I saw saw some other those it's uh, yeah it's like you said it's a hard watch but it will definitely stay with you for a while i mean it's yeah yeah the the poster alone i mean it's it's a it's a hard image to (laughs) get untattooed from your your psyche once you see it yeah and i'm not even trying to laugh at that it's just like there's i i'm a big fan for old movie style old style movie posters and it's things that don't really sell you what you're gonna see but even like the image that you see for the poster, like, wow, this is pretty extreme. But it's like that is nothing compared to what you're about to put yourself through. I mean, there's just – Yeah, you got to put something there to get people psyched for it. But, I mean, it's just even things like if you look at the original poster art for uh, Planet of the Apes, it was just the cage that they kept the humans in was the original artwork they'd used for that. Yeah. It was very, very limited. It was just such a cool movie, though, with everything else that they showed you at the time that came out. But, I mean, the the author who made that, uh, The Girl Next Door, he's done a couple of the movies like that. And each one is pretty much a hard sit, but that movie just, that really, really dug its hooks in. 
could couldn't agree more. But as much as we're, I think that's a kind of a good segue into the heartbeat of our show. And so mm-hmm. we want to encourage you guys right now that if you're listening to this and you're struggling with suicide, addiction, self harm, or depression, to please reach out. Suicide is currently the tenth leading cause of death in the United States. There are one hundred and twenty nine plus suicides that take place each and every day and when you scale back internationally there are 800,000 successful suicides there's one death roughly every 40 seconds so if you or someone you know is struggling you feel free to reach out to us on any of our social media call the suicide lifeline at 1-800-273-8255 or you can text help to 741-741 or go to victimsandvillains.net forward slash hope where you guys can get even more resources past the ones that i've just mentioned all of those resources, they're going to be in the show notes for wherever you guys are currently listening or streaming this episode right now. So please stay with us. While we love talking about Nicolas Cage, we love talking, analyzing film. It's not the sole reason we create this content. We create it so that you can know that you have value and that you have worth. So please stay with us. We'll be right back. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back to Victims and Villains. And much like those commercials, we are match-sticking to match-stick then. <laughs> it's not a con! Uh, I, I tried I tried to do, do a dad joke there. It didn't work you out. You did. You conned us. <laughs> <laughs> I do feel cheated. Alright, so th- this episode we're going to be talking about the 2003 black comedy film uh, Matchstick Men starring Nicolas Cage, Sam Rockwell, and Allison Lohman. It's directed by Ridley Scott. Opened in theaters September 2nd, 2003, the Venice Film Festival, and 10 days later into a nationwide was budgeted at $62 million and its box office made a whopping $65.6 million. So not a, (laughs) yeah. I mean, I would even argue that it probably failed because that's, that's that budget just includes films. So, uh, but this was the first time that I had ever seen this film and so from people from the experts who do a Nicolas Cage podcast, uh, general thoughts coming out of this movie. I left the theater in 2003 very unhappy and on revisiting that hasn't changed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, it, it's uh, I, you know, have just 
recently become comfortable with uh, saying that I, I suffer from OCD and anxiety. Ah, <laughs> and I was there before it, you. <laughs> I was kind of happy about um, about the way that Cage uh, acted with the OCD. But at the same time, like with this whole movie, I'm just like, I kind of want to like find Ridley Scott and the brothers who wrote the script and just kind of individually punch them all in the nards. It's it's the usual (laughs) situation we run into where there, there is a disconnect between uh, the level of effort cage put into his performance and the level of effort that went into the movie in general, you know, especially on the writing end. (laughs) This is going to be a fun podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's I an interesting one, movie. Um, because you're um, a nosy Parker. Um, <laughs> well, I even found that um, a quote from one of the brothers that wrote the squ- uh, script, Nick Griffin, he said, I, I think the both of us, are, uh, him and his brother, are neurotic enough on our own that research wasn't necessary. And so I think we just exploited our own dysfunctions and exaggerated them a bit. <laughs> like, really? Yeah. Really, dude? <laughs> You, know, you don't tell a story or anything, you know, it's just about what I'm going through right now. <laughs> well, and it's kind of like, well, you know, things start going right in his life. And so he's happier and he's more functional and, you know, things are, are better. And his OCD is way better because he's got his daughter in his life now. And, you know, it's it's really annoying. So he thinks. Mm. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> She is a skateboard. So, She's clearly his daughter. Uh, so I, I am kind of on the fence, uh, uh, opposite end of this. I didn't necessarily hate it, didn't necessarily love yeah. it. It kind of exists mm-hmm. somewhere in the middle for me. Um, I really love Cage's performance. I think he's does a really stand-up job. And I think mm-hmm. the film runs on a, probably a bit longer than it has to. Thank you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like like there was a point in the throughout the, the course of this film where it, i no, no, it felt stick like around and buy some carpet it it <laughs> felt it felt like they were gonna like they were trying to like steer away from him like getting out of the con life and yeah then they they pulled him you know sam rockwell pulls him back in with uh bruce mcgill's character and the film kind of like uh, just does a, this like tonal shift yeah it does yeah and i think that's that was most of our our problems like i personally like i enjoyed watching it um you know it was it was entertaining up until the end (laughs) like we feel like i'm sorry go ahead donnie go ahead go ahead i was just gonna say that we the general (laughs) consensus was that we they just messed it up they screwed it all up in in Mm. the end well so once Brian McGill's character kind of comes in and then you realize the con was actually on him, I'm like, mm-hmm. I, I was kind of okay with that. Like that twist yeah. kind of reinvigorated my passion for this film. I'm like, all right, I want to see what happens next. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. he goes and has that relationship with the supermarket lady and yeah. – has like you know a normal domestic life and kind of like finds like real happiness and you're like okay well that's that's what I felt like this character was was missing yeah. all of this time. 
Mm-hmm. I think I think my problem is is that in movies a character doesn't necessarily need to get what they're missing, you know. Like it doesn't yeah. it doesn't actually have to work out for them. <laughs> it doesn't. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, yeah there's the uh, David Mamet. The first movie he did as a director was something called House of Games with Joe Mantegna, uh, which is eerily similar in in the in the con game themes and all of that, and and uh, and, and somewhat in structural. Although that one is considerably more concise, uh, and the outcome uh, is frankly both more realistic and more satisfying. Yeah, that's kind of what I feel the problem with the film was was that they had a good concept and a good story, but mm-hmm. it just got bogged down and carried and stretched out and part yeah. of that's cage's fault by the way yeah. not necessarily in his performance but in the way that the fact that he's got the cloud and so he influences these films in the way that they go yeah. and his morality gets injected into them and it can often very much be to their detriment yeah i mean it, it's like it reminded me of this uh horror movie that was made not too long ago and it was made in a made during the period in 1970s uh house of the devil it's ah, something yeah. I really like, but it's yeah. still such a slow film that it the scares when they happen are just kind of a, oh, okay, nothing's happening again. Then oh, something might happen. No, nothing yet. And then right when you get to the end, just when you're about to give up on this, like okay, now my investment's paid off. That's kind of how this film played out, where it's like it's building up to certain moments, and you're like okay, this could be interesting, but then it just kind of prattles on. And then prattles a little bit more. Then it gets interesting, but then it's like eh, we're just—we don't know what to do so, with the twist. Now we've had our clever moment, so we're just going to go this way. I, You're well, saying it would have been better if the daughter had listened to the fix and Greg Kinn on the headphones while she was left alone in Cage's house. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. I'm sorry. I was—I was going to say I will argue though that by the time that you kind of get to the end and you learn that it was Sam Rockwell's character who had the therapist who had um, Angela, all of these guys that were, were in it so that he could learn everything that he could from Roy and then basically stole literally everything Mm -hmm. from him. Like that part, I will say like it, it does redeem itself. Like the last like 15 minutes, it redeems itself. The, but the, half hour 45 minutes you have leading up until that climax it is like it's very dull it's a very painful viewing experience because i think what makes this interesting and i know i know we had we had kind of talked about this over uh twitter when we were talking about having you guys on and do this episode was the the mental health issues that cage's character does suffer with in tourette syndrome and ocd and when you combine that with some of the shots that Ridley Scott was able to bring on visually and match that with the cinematography from uh, John Mathis, I think they, they captured uh, some of the really how the like people who suffer from those those mental issues really see the world. They were made see, that's of- that's where I have another disconnect with it, honestly. OK. Because when I saw it in the theater, uh, I, I felt that Ridley Scott was taking his usual approach, where he's 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 more of a commercial uh, director than a filmmaker on that one, like yeah. like advertising, and um, you know, like I I I knew that they were trying to do that, 
but he was it was both glossy and heavy handed to me. Like like it's like but, it's like you're you're taking this real issue and you're dressing it up this way where you got mm-hmm. the sheen on it, the aesthetic sheen, and then on the other way where you're being crass and obvious. I can I can see that and respect that, and also too I think it's also a product of its time because when yeah. you have like. 2000 yeah. and 2005 like you had so many films that for some reason once we hit y2k was like all right all these films in order to be cool in order to be stylish and sexy we have to give them these really quick cuts and yes. the the color palettes have to be like, there's there's a there's a lot of like heavy blues and like very mm-hmm. uh almost like a borderline like grayscale uh yeah there is a color this scheme. film yeah and when you match that with the the quick cuts in this, it's it becomes a product of its time. But having uh, having been disconnected for for almost twenty years, I didn't have the this viewing experience that you guys had had, where mm-hmm. um, you know having viewed it before, maybe not really liking it, having that disconnect. Uh, to me, I think that you're an old now. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know I. I enjoyed the 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 quick cuts that you know the where they explored his like OCD moments throughout wow. his yeah. condos. I thought that visually speaking, like someone that I, I've never been diagnosed with it, but I do have like tendencies of OCD, mm-hmm. where that's exactly kind of how the world goes, especially when anxiety kicks in and kind of when the world breaks for him about halfway through the film. Like that's how it feels like having high anxiety like that. Yeah, definitely. And I, I can agree with that. But I, I just think it's kind of dangerous to portray um, a mental illness as something that it, it can just maybe not go away, but get way better without medication just by having some sort of void filled in your life. I I was like, I'm I not only insulted by it, but it, I also think it's just a dangerous notion to to put in people's heads. Oh, you want dangerous? Let's talk about Joker for about five hours and go into the mental illnesses in that one. <laughs> that's that is a large discussion there. Uh, you guys can hear our Joker episode wherever you guys get your podcast from. Right after you're done listening to this <laughs> beautiful episode, uh, well, let's kind of talk about that because the mm-hmm. Allison Lohan character, who's Angela, is said to be his daughter throughout the course of it, and I think you bring up a valid point when you're talking about you know feeling assaulted to say that these things can go away or die out if they have happiness, and that's that might be the case for maybe like. A handful of people but for the majority of people that suffer from anxiety from heavy fear that go through Tourette's and OCD mm-hmm. medication and therapy are the mantra and if um, to kind of steal from another film Halloween 2 taught us that you know when you experience a traumatic event it's better to take everything day by day yeah. and I think mm-hmm. even now in our society now with the corona outbreak and the fear and the shutdown and the quarantines like it's day by day as they practice that i feel like to keep your sanity it's something that you have to practice and i will i I do think (coughs) i completely agree with you that this film kind of makes light of that to where it says okay if you have this void if you have this hole in your life if you get it fixed by the first cute girl or first person that says that she they're your offspring then bam it's you're cured like it's it does make light of the situation and like my my life i i 
I'm married to my soulmate. I'm incredibly happy, but you know, it doesn't mean that I don't have uh, struggles with OCD, especially right now in, in this, um, you know, with everything going on. So <laughs> that was really insulting to me in the movie. Cause I'm just yeah, like, it's, oh, it's, yeah. it's not really fair to, 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 to task another person with filling the hole in the middle of you. It's going to be really inconvenient for them at that angle. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but seriously. But I mean, yeah, yeah seriously, it's like it, it's just like insinuating that my OCD is really bad right now, so I must be unhappy. I I, I don't have a, a happy life. I'm missing something, you know. It, well, yeah. that that also ties it with the easy psychology ties right in with the easy morality too. You know, it's like, oh no, yeah. all your problems is because you feel <clears throat> guilty. Well, and that's a trope that. Um, we've been introducing my French fiance to with watching movies. Cause she really doesn't watch a lot of movies period, but introducing her to a lot of American movies, she absolutely cannot stand the whole idea that I'm unhappy. I'm depressed. But as soon as I find a relationship, suddenly it's going to just cure my depression. Yeah. It's yeah. like, that's not how it works. It's like, you can be okay with someone. You can be happy, but your depression stays there. It's not going to go away. Mm-hmm. It's like, you have good days. You have bad days. But as far as movies go, it's like they have to give you the happy ending. They have to show you, look, the character's happy. You can care now. Which is fine until the director starts saying we wanted to make a message about this. And like you're missing the point of that. You gave us a happy ending, but you're not being realistic about this. I think you're starting to get to the shift in cinema where mm-hmm. you're experiencing maybe not happiness. Uh, I yeah. think, you know, to kind of call from another fandom, look at how Infinity War ended. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Was cr- it was a crazy low blow mm-hmm. to understand that all these heroes that we had spent the last ten years rooting mm-hmm. for were dead. Oh, Spoiler yeah. alert: If you haven't seen Infinity War yet, <laughs> they all come back in Endgame. Uh, but as it's, zombies. And- <laughs> <laughs> Oops! Spoiler. I'm still waiting for that one. Uh, that's coming in sometime in the next in the near future. What if zombies something? I don't know. Disney Plus. Uh, but it, it's one of those things that I think we're kind of getting into where you're now seeing repercussions because you know, look at another tipple from another fan, comic book fandom. Look at how. Uh, Batman versus Superman address the events of the destruction in Man of Steel. We're starting to kind of get into where you're saying, okay, not everything has to have a happy ending because like, let's be honest, like obviously no guy or no girl or no kid or no video game. Like they're not going to fulfill you. They might, they might fill a hole for a period, but that hole will still be there once that feeling is over. Well, even to go further than that, you can also look at Iron Man 2. I mean, or not Iron Man 2, rather, but Iron Man 3, when yeah. he's dealing with well, after the events after the Avengers and everything he saw and the post-traumatic stress that he started going through and how it started affecting his life and what he had to do. But, I mean, even that there's... I want to call back to another film, just sorry going back off topic, but another movie that really did well with handling the topic we're talking about is a movie with Sigourney Weaver called copycat. Yeah. Hell yeah. (laughs) Going into post-traumatic stress disorder as well. And also the being afraid of going out in the outside world after having been attacked and just how they use the camera work to portray how they see the world, how things work. A lot of that really nailed it on the head. 
But again, it's a very underrated movie. Not a lot of people give credit to. Yeah, that's a better one right there. Yeah, yeah Harry I, Connick Jr. Way better than Kiss the Girls. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. Sorry, it's still on. <laughs> uh, it's all good. I've recorded with people that will completely zone out because they're watching like a baseball game or oh, no. wrestling. And <laughs> that's it's like, rather rude. Bro. They're, they're probably watching something they like, though. I'm watching something that I hate. So Bro. I guarantee you, I'm invested <laughs> in this conversation. He does it you on know, our show all the time. At least it's not Pornhub, because that'd be really awkward. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah, everybody hold on. He's getting this angle right now. Man, how's he do it? The guy's an honest. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, time lapse. Time lapse. That's a cheat. No, no, I revoke, I revoke the award. No, not impressive anymore. Well, they might not have the uh, horrible wipes that Matchstick Men had. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, Matchstick Man with the, it does the you damn con uh, heist movie thing where they have the lounge music and the Sinatra and stuff like that. Like, look, it's slick. <laughs> it's smooth. <Ba-da-na-da>. <laughs> <sighs> Any Oceans film should have prepared. Oh, all the damn ocean. Well, yes. yeah, no. That's freaking. Scott. Eat him in a dark alley. The Ridley Scott, Ridley Scott, and William Friedkin should hang out because they're both filmmakers who haven't made anything good since before I was born. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, Shots was fired. did uh, Blade Runner come out before you were born? Yeah, I think so, a little bit. Because wow. that Just was awesome. It, yeah, but, yeah. But, but 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 I'm talking about Blade Runner the theatrical cut and not the other cuts. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's only one cut, people. Just get over it. <laughs> Ridley Scott, I don't care how many times you re-edit it, it, you know. Yeah, come at us, Ridley Scott. Yeah, come, come, literally, <laughs> please, come at please us. don't. <laughs> we like Tony better, as we said before. No, social distancing. You, you got to practice that. Oh, oh, oh he, he's going to give us out. a British strain of the virus. <laughs> God damn it! Oh, yeah. It yeah, is so an this accent. Is what I have to do All right. So, uh, so kind of bring it back to. Yes, um, yes please there's a a particular monologue that cage kind of talks about in when he first goes to therapy for the first time because he's becomes out of his medication and he says look doc i spent last tuesday watching fibers on my carpet and the whole time i was watching my carpet i was worrying that i i might vomit and the whole time i was thinking i'm a grown man I should know what goes on in my head. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I should just blow my brains out and end it all. And then I thought, well, if I thought more about blowing my brains out, I start worrying about what that was going to do to my goddamn carpet. Okay, so aha he. That was a good day, Doc. And I just want to give you me i just want you to give me some pills and let me get on with my life end quote uh so that was kind of that was one of the 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 let's start over again it's kind of one of those it's kind of one of those sequences where or asides for that character that really demonstrate you the the depth of depression that i think sometimes people with OCD or people with Tourette's or just 
function differently than I think the rest of us, how they kind of view the world um, to the point where he's thinking, you know, he's studying his carpet, but then he's also saying, you know, in, in an alternative thought, he's thinking, I should just take a gun and just shoot my brains out. But then yeah. how would my carpet be clean? And it's analyzing. It's an interesting way to talk yourself out of suicide. And so I kind of just wanted to spend a couple minutes just um, talking about that because th- that scene really struck me uh, really hard. And from someone that has thought about and considered suicide at one point, um, I'm glad that I had some of the resources around me at the time and uh, some of the people that I surround myself with and, and finding religion and stuff along those lines that have kind of bettered me as a individual and really given me a passion for uh, mental health awareness because once you lose someone to suicide, there's there's no going back. Like suicide is the is the kind of death that completely changes your your view and uproots your entire life, because the questions that it brings and the thoughts that it brings, like no other death brings those. Yeah. And when he was um, in the that little monologue when he's saying, you know, I'm a grown man, you know, that really spoke to me because yeah, me the, too. Honestly. <laughs> Like there were so many times in my life where I thought like, I'm, I'm a grown ass woman. Like I shouldn't, I shouldn't feel like I have to, That's you how know, I was thinking of it too. It's gotta be, I'm a grown ass man. <laughs> yeah. Like, like this shouldn't be a problem. I should be able to control my, my compulsion and my, my, you know, I, I, I shouldn't feel like I have to uh, move my, my head and look up a certain way so many times. And this is ridiculous. And like, why do I not have control over my, my, my own brain? But, um, and you know, that, that really spoke to me and like, you know, like you were saying with uh, getting resources, um, I, I used to work at a mental health clinic and I volunteered at a crisis clinic. And, you know, there's like no better way to find how bad the stigma is. And it's it's gotten better, thank God. But in even today, like somebody says that they have uh, dis, uh, depression, uh, schizophrenia or you know whatever people some people think of you as weak and like with OCD like you know people yeah, walk can, it off they'll say you know. yeah <laughs> yeah like snap out of it <laughs> like that's and, as deep you know, as it goes for them man yeah if you suffer from depression you know you could be talking to somebody and sometimes like they don't know any better and they just say well you know why don't you do this why don't you do that and like it, it, it doesn't work that way. Like, and I think, I think that's a that's, that's a culture thing, right? You know, like you get the whole rhetorical conversations. It's like, like, you, like you know, it's, it's tough to talk to somebody you know is uh, has a terminal illness because conversation is mm-hmm. all based about what's coming up in the future. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it kind of goes back to that whole day by day mantra because, like, when you have heavy depression and you're you're at a point where you're considering suicide, considering how you're going to do it, what your suicide note is going to say, it is a complete game changer at that point because yeah. you're 
you're looking you feel like in your life you have nothing left to look forward to and i at that point in my life i had thought about it and then the my the the it's like waves um crashing up on the shore like those those ideas would quickly thank god perish from me and i'd move on with my own life but for some people being stuck in in depression suicide and thoughts of suicide are like interchangeable with that depression and Mm -hmm. it's really hard for them to focus and every day every hour is its own struggle yeah definitely and and you know i think everybody you know feels something like that in in at some point in their life and you know i know for me i've i've had problems with depression and like uh even with just my ocd like sometimes i'll you know i'm perfectly happy but then i just think like you know what would happen if i drove off this bridge what would that what would that do and you know it's like i have to stop myself and think like what the where the hell did that come from and you know it's 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 not something that it, it it's like I don't know. I, I think some people think that depression is just something you can snap out of. Something that um, well, you know. You back just to the mean, monologue on that one. You know, the turnaround in that monologue. I find that I find that very relatable myself because I thought, you know, you know, you, you think about you know life without you for a little bit, you know, and you consider mm-hmm. like, wait, would would uh, you know, like possibly my death is more burdensome than my life, you know, like yes, therefore carry yeah. on. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's even something they've gone through a few times because something I really enjoy about the internet is multiplayer games online because I've had so many people talk to me the same thing about their depression and talking people out of killing themselves and all of us just relating our own experiences of getting people to realize you're not the only one that has those thoughts. Mm -hmm. And also at the same time, more importantly for other people, if someone is telling you that, like Nick Cage said, I'm just looking at the carpet fibers and then thinking about blowing my brains out and thinking how it's going to affect my carpet, they're not saying, help me and talk me out of this. Right. They're telling you what their thoughts are like, but it's like they're still getting by. It's just these thoughts happen. They come to you. And it's just something that to you as you're in that state, it's sadly it becomes normal. It's just something that you get used to. And even for me, I was in denial for my depression for a long time. And I was out of work for two and a half years while I was living with an ex. And every day I'd wake up, it's like, oh, God, I got to look for jobs. I got to do this stuff. I got to get everything ready and do what I'm supposed to do, even though I know it's not going to change. And eventually it just got to a point when I'd wake up, I just stopped worrying about this stuff. And I just started accepting that, well... Might as well just stay in bed because this is my life now. And when I started realizing, like, why am I not worried about this now? It's like, because I just accepted this is it. And I just thought, God, where have I come from this? And at the same time, it's like when you realize that, what gets scarier is when you think this is where you're going to stay. Because you're like, well, shit, I'm here. This is scary. And like, oh, well. And I'm really like, glad you're not. Why am I not anymore. changing that? Yeah. It's like, well, honestly, what's really helped me a lot, and I found again from talking to people online, is movies. It's like that's why I like yeah. doing this podcast and why I want to do more, 
because I have freaking over 3,000 freaking DVDs, Blu-rays, and VHS. It's because I love talking about movies. I love behind the scenes. Laser discs, man. Laser discs. Come on. Let's pull out those frisbees. Well, yeah, Donnie and I were pretty much raised in front of the TV and uh, yeah. in the theater. So, I mean, like we movie call theaters. the babysitter. And, yeah. and our parents, as much as we love them, were of that generation where it's like, mm. if you take medication, it's a sign of weakness. And yeah. if you have depression, well, just go outside for a walk and you'll feel better. Yeah. And just little things like that. It's just going to go away. If you're suicidal, then just go watch a happy movie. Go relax. and It'll be okay. It'll go away. It doesn't, and that's the thing mm-hmm. that yeah. we we fail to understand. We fail to really understand the the gravity of how big of an issue suicide is. And I posted on my Facebook yesterday, a couple of days ago, uh, this quote that I had come from a, a a pastor, and he was talking about how numbers don't move us, but mothers and fathers and sons and daughters and friends they move us. And I posted that and I I went on kind of this rant and I basically said, you know, like we don't ever think about suicide. Like we never think about depression. We never think about all those people that are dying by their own hand and we've created this stigma around it. But what happens when those numbers become people? What happens when they become husbands? What happens when they become wives? What happens when they become sons and daughters and fathers and best friends? And just, you know, insert that person's role here. Then it becomes more personal. And then it becomes a that situation that gravity now takes weight. And that's really what we need to kind of be doing. And instead of destigmatizing, we need to be having these conversations. That's why yeah. we here at Victims and Villains, we are trying to create uh, resources and, and raise money for resources to get mental health resources into the hands of the next generation. Because if you can tell kids at a young age and teach them at a young age that it's okay not to be okay, that there are resources mm-hmm. and that everybody feels depression, everybody feels anxiety everybody's going to feel those negative feelings and we can probably see the the rate of suicide decrease if we're starting to teach kids how to practically be open about the mental health issues that we're facing day in and day out and you know i'm with donnie and i we we love our parents Uh, they're awesome i mean we're not gonna we're not bashing them but growing up my my parents would never let us see them cry and uh it was always like if oh, you're if wow. you're gonna cry you we totally averse childhoods yeah, <laughs> yeah <we did>. <laughs> <laughs> with my parents like if they were gonna cry you know you go to you lock yourself in the bathroom and don't let anybody know that you were crying and like with i remember um I think our mom, uh, I think one of her friends died and I remember, uh, she was crying in the bedroom and my dad wouldn't let us in. And like, so my brother and I, we just kind of grew up not really knowing what to do with emotions and not knowing how to comfort people because we never, we never got that. I've seen it on TV. You say they're there. 
Yeah. <laughs> I am the most awkward comforter now. I, mean, like, and it's, yeah. I give uh, people these awkward hugs and just kind of lightly pat them on the shoulder. That with, is <laughs> Sheldon yeah. Cooper, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. I mean, and it's kind of funny, but something I used to advise my friends on, it's like, the best thing that helped me through a lot of my depression and a lot of suicidal thoughts was I called it simming from the Sims where it's like, you just <laughs> talk to yourself in front of a mirror because I, I struggled hard with a lot of things, especially with religion and whether there is or isn't a God, whether however you find and define him or her to me, it's like, I just felt like I need to talk to someone. So I'll just talk to myself and assume if there is someone out there, maybe they're listening. I don't know. I don't care. I'm just getting this out there. And I would just talk aloud to myself about my problems, what it is I'm going through, and start rationalizing. And I realized the more I just openly was vocal with myself going through everything that's bothering me and why it upsets me, why I feel this way, afterward, I felt better for it. Because you're just, it's the same as talking to a therapist. It's someone to listen to. And if you have someone Mm -hmm. to listen to, that's the most amazing thing. But not everyone has that because not everyone wants to be social or they're just so afraid. Because, again, even my French fiance, it's she, it took two years of talking to her before she had the strength to call and order pizza to be delivered to her home because she just was so afraid of talking to people she didn't know. And I mean, it's, I had to get over my shyness by getting a job at Safeco field here in Washington and telling people where to go and to sit and having to talk to people. But before that, all I had that I could depend on was just myself in a garage or in my bedroom and just talking to myself and just talking yeah. aloud to get that out. It's like That's telling like people that like, I had you're freaking crazy. <laughs> But you have to explain to them my sexuality and all that. Yeah. Yeah. I I went through the same kind of thing, like a lot of conversations on my own out loud, but nobody. Yes. And like I've told people, it's it might sound crazy, but the best way to put it is it's okay to talk to yourself. It's when you start arguing with yourself that you should worry. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you're not wrong. Don't do two uh, voices. But <laughs> don't make one of them your mother's. It's also <laughs> the things is that you have to find what works for you because what works yeah. for yeah. someone is not necessarily going to yeah. work for someone else. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I know that there are a lot of people that whose the the conversation of going to therapy might not necessarily be in their cards because they can't afford it financially or their insurance won't pay for it. And it's like, okay, get that. But you also at the same time, you have this, you have resources out there like the suicide hotline or the suicide text line where you can call someone up or text someone completely anonymously and they'll stay with you until you're back to where you feel healthy enough to kind of go on with your life. Totally. And, you know, I, uh, having volunteered at a crisis, yeah, yeah, uh, having volunteered at a crisis clinic, I, um, you know, I I was telling somebody uh, or telling the listeners in my other show, Bed Nubs and Broom Flicks, about uh, how you should never feel like you'd be a burden. uh, And so you shouldn't call like a, a crisis clinic or the suicide prevention clinic. Cause I, I know there are some people that, 
are afraid to, and they don't, they think like, well, I don't want to bother somebody else with my problems. And they're probably busy as it is. And, you know, it, I, I cannot stress enough just like how, like when, when I volunteered, we would have most nights we would be bored. And, you know, we didn't get many calls. And uh, which is the ideal situation in any workplace. Especially that's that true. <laughs> but, you know, when we did get calls, like, it was usually just to chat. And we were, we, we loved it. I mean, we loved being able to just chat with people that, you know, maybe uh, didn't have anybody else to talk to. And, you know, we, we loved it. And I, like, you know, the one thing I cannot stress enough is just like how people should not be afraid to call because this is literally what these people volunteered to do. They volunteer to take your call, even if it's just something that you think is silly, you know. And so, I mean, I could not encourage people enough to to call if you feel like it. Yeah, they won't talk to you about matchstick men, thankfully. (laughs) (laughs) You're not talking about matchstick men. It's what I do. There's another line in in Matchstick Men where Roy says, uh, "I'm not good at being a dad. I'm barely good enough at being me." And that's another thing that another line that feel like captures depression really well, where depression really bogs <laughs> you down and basically tries to just make you feel like you're failing on all cylinders, and. It, when you go through Toxic job will do the same thing. Yeah. When you go through uh when you go through a really tough season, like it's really tough to uh like you guys were just talking about, like it's really tough to just kind of get out of bed in in the morning. And I feel like if you can get to get out of bed in the morning or you know, that's a that's an awesome first start. If you can make it to go get coffee, it's another good start. Brush your teeth put deodorant on like take a shower like you know just create a morning routine little by little and yeah. then that worries about you know barely being good enough to be yourself they starts to kind of change it and that's one of the things that we had talked about a long time ago on the show was you know taking maybe taking it like little by little goals or something that you're you're anticipating something that you know you can reward yourself with for you know doing a day you know and some of us it might be you know doing this podcast it might might be watching terrible Nicolas Cage movies (laughs) or it might be you know just hanging out with brothers and sisters or friends and family or just husbands and wives Uh, but just really just taking time to really analyze and start to almost kind of like deconstruct your depression and say I can get over this I can I can be a good version of myself. Mm-hmm. And when I worked at a, the mental health clinic, my boss there just gave me some amazing advice. Um, he was saying, you know, a lot of people come into this job and this field thinking that they're going to save lives, that, you know, they're going to be the miracle worker. And, uh, you know, they think about all the movies that they've seen. But it's not like that. So, like, you have to focus on the baby steps. Like, so and so got out of bed today, and he made it here. That is a success story. 
And so you have to look at those little things and not compare yourself to other people and not compare yourself to characters and stories and just think like, you know, I'm really proud. I, I was able to do this and this and this today, even though it may seem silly, you know, just try to be the best you, not the best person. What's well, like it's that scene gone on me about this, about this, about this movie and the portrayal of OCD compared to you and Island uh, about how we're both like, like insanely clutter like intensive yeah that's true (laughs) (laughs) i am not a clean person (laughs) actually something that i'm like i really liked that our mom had said it's like no matter how bad things may seem it's never as bad as you think it is every time you have a moment like that you're like this is the lowest i can be this is the worst things could possibly be and then tomorrow comes you're still here the world hasn't stopped moving and Mm -hmm. then as soon as you get past that you just have to remind yourself that it's like you have to give yourself credit because if not, you just think every time this is it, this is the last thing you have to realize how many times through your life you've said that and still progressed. And it seems really silly, but I used to have <laughs> um, moments of depression when I would see uh, other people like other, my friends from high school uh, getting married and having kids and oh, yeah, you know, don't I pay attention to that. Yeah, I kept thinking like there's something wrong with me. There's something, you know, I why what's what's wrong with me that I can't find somebody. And, you know, obviously this is before I met my husband. But, um, you know, I I found that uh, when I start feeling like a trash person myself or I'm not like I'm not as good or I don't deserve something then I like to watch something like a reality show, like uh, Jersey Shore. <laughs> oh. Springer. Yeah. I know I'm better than that person. <laughs> 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 I'm doing all right. <laughs> Boy, that escalated quickly. <laughs> I'm your lucky number. <laughs> There's, um, there's a to paraphrase a, a situation from Justice League where Barry's kind of looking and he's nervous about being a hero and Batman just kind of looks at him and he says, Just save one. Just save one person mm-hmm. and that's it. You know, to to kind of talk about what Linda was saying, you know, when we first started this podcast, I was like I, you know, you have all these big aspirations and when you kind of hit a hundred and you're like spending every episode, but you're watching suicide statistics actually increase instead of decrease, you're like, all right, I'm just going to focus on one person. If I can get one person saved or get the right uh, resources into their hands, then this has all been worth it. Yes. And even to flip that looking at depression if i can make it to the next minute i've made it if i can make it to two minutes i've made it if i can make it to three minutes i've made it and it's it's literally about analyzing and just again like i was saying like deconstructing that depression to say okay i know that there's a source of this and there are resources and there are things that I can do to actively fight against the source of whatever this depression is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. 
All right, so my last Thanks question for, for you guys one. is a 42. one. No, it's not 42. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> ice cream is a huge theme throughout the course of this movie. And what is everybody's favorite flavor of ice cream? You're going to make me choose? I am going to make you choose. <laughs> Oh, Do we man. have to use real ones, or can we say hunk of hunk of bourbon and fudge? Uh, 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 ch- chocolate. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, um, when I, I was have... little, it was mint chocolate chip, but not 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 as much now. I branched out. I love out, it. I but I'd have to say pistachio. Ooh, okay. Oh, you big old weirdo. Um, I know. I, I'm stuck between pralines and cream because it's amazing and peanut butter core ice cream. Actually, I do have a favorite. Actually, my favorite is is it doesn't actually matter who makes it, but any of those birthday cake ice creams. Yes. Oh, yeah. Those are God, yes. Oh, God, I love those. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like the, the mixed stuff and like Ben and Jerry's makes a, an amazing, uh, was it everything but the, the kitchen sink? With a squeal. Oh, oh my god, it's so good, dude. <laughs> I don't know how to get ice cream, but I got a box of donuts in the fridge. I, I, I decided I needed a treat, so that's what that happened there. Treat yourself. What you need to do is Guy Fieri it. You got to get a little <laughs> tiny quart of vanilla, buy some cookies, chop that container up into slices, and put it between the cookies. <laughs> that's how you do it. <laughs> he literally did that. <laughs> Oh, don't talk to me for too long. You get hungry for all kinds of things because I openly share whatever I'm suddenly Jones in for. You know, I'll be like, oh my God, <laughs> two tacos from Jack in the Box. I need that immediately. Yes. So like, Damn, whatever hits. <laughs> like, right now, I should really go for some quarantine. <laughs> well, uh, thank, thank, good, thank you, Jay Inslee, for letting us still get drive through. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Bless you, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Although I tell you, it's, it's tough for me. One of my favorite things is hanging out in a fast food establishment and reading for like three hours while slowly eating curly fries. That's my deal. Nice. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, man, I'm a I'm a peanut butter guy. So anything with peanut butter, that's yeah. that's my ice yeah. cream right there. And, and luckily, there's quite a few of those. Yeah, the ones with the little chocolate nuggets with the peanut butter inside. I know it's not ice cream, but like one of my my I guess like a therapy hobby I love is baking, and I love baking uh, cupcakes. So I, I make a really awesome uh, cupcake with like a, it's a chocolate mm-hmm. cupcake with peanut butter frosting and uh, oh no it's a white cake sorry with a what? peanut butter frosting and it's, it's not cool got, anymore. Like, <laughs> I, I make like a pool of jelly, like a berry jelly, uh, not necessarily grapes, like on top, and it's like a peanut butter and jelly. Okay. <laughs> okay. Just, I swear this is the it's last awesome. food related thing, but my cousin will <laughs> love me for it because somebody did try to steal this idea, and I guess somebody already went away and made it. But it fits the whole matchstick mint, so it brings everything together. Oh. It's called a sneaky pie. What it is, is you bake a pie inside of a cake. So you think you're going to have a delicious cake, but instead when you cut it, you're getting cake and pie together. Sold. The con is on. Okay, but the person who's not expecting the pie, is that wind up being like Veronica Cartwright and Alien? You know, all of a sudden there's cherry juice shooting at you, and you're like, ah, God! (laughs) It's like a turducken of baked goods. (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna need that recipe there, sir. What's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's called a sneaky pie? <laughs> awesome. I know what I'm doing after we get it on recording? <laughs> it's gonna be sneaky. And so are our ratings. We're putting this through Rorschach rating scale. Matchstick Man 2003, one to five. Where would it land for you guys? Uh, two and a half. I'll give it a Tron when I, when I first saw it, I was on one, but I'll be a little charitable and it'll get all the way to two. <laughs> yeah, I think I'm I'm somewhere around a three because I I, I love the acting and uh, it helps that I've seen a lot of much worse movies since then. And yes. I mean, who doesn't love Sam Rockwell? I, Sam, Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. Underappreciated yeah. actor. He is. He is. He's, he was. He was Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. And plus, Bruce yeah. McGill from MacGyver's in here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I still kind of prefer adaptation. Oh well. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You can't you're, really compare. You're not going to beat that one. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, I think that's another reason why I came down so hard on Matchstick Men is that Cage was still in a phase where good Cage movies would come out sometimes. You know, like. Eight millimeter and bringing out the dead and adaptation were all in recent memory. So like, all right, Nicholas Cage movie, he's gonna knock it out of the park. It's two thousand three, yeah. and I'm this age, and <laughs> oh, oh no. Yeah, we're just reaching the part where he's like a straight to video type of actor. Yeah, well, we were on a oh, couple we're, years away from that. Well, on, on, in the yeah. chronology, though, since we've been following from 1981 onward steadily, so we're on 2011 now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. guys are. Uh, so, so, yeah, so Magic Man didn't come from the dark place, but now we're in the dark place. <laughs> yeah, it's there are wild. some gems in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, but we, they're few and far between. You, I think you this got a pan for them, gem, gem son, and then you kind of <laughs> got to take them to the refinery or two. So. <laughs> <laughs> Is and this I think... a diamond in the rough? No. <laughs> this is where he's trying to make his money back. <laughs> like, definitely. <laughs> yep. Right. He, he wants my money back. and yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go a little bit higher than Linda, and I'm going to give this a 3.5. Acting super oh. solid. Wow. Pacing's fairly well. Uh, drags on a little bit, but it redeems itself in the end. And But, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I liked Ridley Scott's quick cut. I, I might agree with you if it wasn't for the last shot. Yeah. No. Yeah. True. true. Uh, I'll give that, you that. Yeah, it's like, uh, I got a toothache now. I've got to go see a dentist. Uh, yeah, but then that, that last shot actually kind of redeems it uh, a, a bunch for me because you show uh, they show him twitching. And so it's like, no, he still has some, uh, some, that, you know, that, that, that is there. I'd rather yeah. see him doing it, you know, just not there because, because of what else is in there. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, if you guys have seen matchstick men share your memories and were likes, dislikes of on the movie, wherever you guys are currently listening to this or tweet to us at Victims and Villains. That's going to bring us to our social media. Where can people find more online about Cage's Kiss? Well, we have a, a website that features Adrian's amazing Cage art on... Uh, oh. it, yeah, it's www.cageskiss.com and uh, so we're... 
Yeah, no apostrophe, C-A-G-E-S-K-I-S-S. And we're also on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, honestly, we're more active on Twitter. And that's also at Cage's Kiss. Facebook right. knows what it did. <laughs> uh, you guys can go to victimsandvillains.com to get all access to all of our social media, follow all of our episodes, reviews, and most importantly, our suicide prevention resources. I want to thank you guys so much for uh, being vulnerable and taking the trip down memory lane to talk. Matchstick Yay. men. Yeah, thanks for the therapy Yay. session. And thank <laughs> you for the cab fare. <laughs> it smells like gum in here. <laughs> Until next time, remember to keep talking nerd, talking hope, speaking nothing else, and hopefully this hour of your life was not a con, but a help. You are